we know the St. Louis Cardinals need quality pitching. Could a big splash in the trade market be the best way to find it? Coming up on B-Shape Daily. What's going on, everyone, and welcome in to this edition of B-Shape Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you. It's now the early morning hours of Thursday, November 9th, 2023, as we're past midnight central time, sitting down in the recording studio talking some St. Louis Cardinals hot stove. We have spent the last couple of days diving into the Cardinals pitching situation, diving headlong, headfirst into how this team might try to handle things over this very important winter as they look to get not one, not two, maybe three starters into this starting rotation. That's what John Moselec said on August 14th. They needed three. Ollie Marmel repeated it at the end of the season. That's what's needed. Three starters. Obviously, some of the other quotes that we've heard from Cardinals president of baseball operations, John Moselec, in recent days and weeks maybe suggest three isn't going to happen, but it's still on the table. But three free agent starting pitchers. That seems pretty unlikely, right? I think we have a handle on what the Cardinals might do spending-wise this offseason. Several reports over the last couple of days out at the GM meetings in Arizona, which have been cut short, evidently, by the way. A virus is sweeping through the GM meetings, and they're basically they're done. They're over now as of the end of Wednesday night. I think there was going to be one more day to them on Thursday, but they're saying, nope, all done. So hopefully everybody out there gets healthy and nothing too crazy. Stomach virus or something is what I was reading on Twitter earlier tonight. But as it pertains to the Cardinals, I think we kind of know $200 million. It's a potential budget for what the Cardinals could see as far as their 2024 payroll. Not dissimilar to what it was this past season, but here's the difference between budget and payroll because I feel like that's a distinction that's been lost in a lot of the framing of the way people feel about what John Mozeliak has said here. Last year, 2023, when they went 71 and 91, there was the idea going in that, yeah, $200 million was sort of the bandwidth that they could extend to if they don't trade away players at the deadline and maybe they even add talent at the deadline, talent that costs money, gets them up to $200 million. That was possible for them last year. Obviously, their performance on the field dictated that that wasn't going to be the way they handled the MLB trade deadline on August 1st. So they traded away guys, which meant lower payroll. I think they made it into the 170s, depending on where you look. But $200 million was the the willingness that they had before everything went to hell in a handbasket. Evidently, that's back what they're willing to do again this year as far as a budget. Payroll-wise, depending on what happens with some of the non-tender candidates versus arbitration, et cetera, et cetera, could be looking in the 140s to 150 range right now. They've got about maybe 50, if you really wanted to be optimistic, $60 million to spend. Are they going to spend that entire bandwidth on three free agent starting pitchers? I don't think so. Because you've got other needs on this team as well. And we'll get into some of those needs as the offseason evolves. I saw some quotes today from John Mozeliak on Twitter. Forget who reported them. I think it was John Denton because he, he's been tweeting out a lot of that talking about maybe the offense being an aspect that they might have to add to that too because John Mozeliak and company not super thrilled with the way things ended up 
a lineup that they thought would be very robust last year. It had its moments, but overall not enough consistency. So they might want to add to the offense or at least change some of the parts around to make it fit better for 2024. The bullpen is obviously going to have to be addressed. So I don't think realistically you're going to see the St. Louis Cardinals sign three free agent starting pitchers. But that doesn't mean they can't pick up three acquisitions that can help them make starts in 2024 and and kind of fix the innings crisis that the Cardinals experienced not only down the stretch, but really all season. The quality innings crisis, I guess you could call it, in 2023. But that leads us to a very exciting road, a path down which I will travel with you tonight on this episode of B-Shave Daily. We're going to be talking about trades. Because I think this offseason, more so than any in the recent in the recent past, sort of demands of John Bozalock a willingness to say, screw it. Let's make a deal. They need to make a trade, Cardinals fans. John Moselak is going to have to do the thing that I think he's got some trepidation toward doing because of the way that recent trades have not panned out for the Cardinals. Trading away young, talented players, the perception or the reality that you didn't get very much in return for those players, and they go on to star elsewhere. That's a narrative, right? It happened again this postseason as Adolis Garcia shined in October. Before him, it was Randy Rosarena. We've been down this road before. It's not one that I think John Moselock would like to live on. I think he's put that house up for sale. He wants to move to a different road, a different lane, where people aren't constantly talking about the ones that got away. But that being said, with this Cardinals rotation and, and the pitching staff, the way that it's constructed, which is right now is to say that it hasn't been constructed yet, trade might be the way they come up with a true contending rotation for 2024. They all spend in free agency. I know a lot of Cardinals fans, I see some comments on YouTube from you guys that say, whatever, as long as Mo is in charge, they're not doing anything. I've, I've fallen for that before. Okay. I think you're wrong. I think they are aware of how just how bad it got last year, and they don't want to go through that again. And if you think about the motivation for John Moselak, he's gone in two years. I keep telling that to anybody that'll listen. His contract is up in 2025. He's not getting another one. That's at least the way that it was framed in February of 23 before everything went to hell in 2023 for the regular season. This was kind of going to be the swan song for Jean Moselock. But, you know, maybe that changes because he kind of thought it would be a little easier than this. And now you're in the mode of trying to save a legacy. So maybe that does convince him that he may need to stick around a little bit longer or you have an aggressive 2023 to 24 offseason and you fix the damn thing and you have a great 24 and you can retire early, Mo. You can hand off the reins because you can say, hey, this thing is a well-oiled machine once again and I can trust that I'll leave it in your good and capable hands. Mike Gersh or Randy Flores or, hey, I'm Bloom. I still think that's a possibility. Cardinals should certainly bring him on to help usher in a new era to pitching development, pitching analytics, the way the organization can modernize their pitching approach. I think would be getting Bloom would be a smash hit. I'm going to continue to say that because I that might be considered controversial. I know some people look at what he did with the Red Sox and say, well, how can you trade away Mookie Betts and say this guy has any idea what he's doing? Well, okay, I think the ownership group kind of was on board with that and said, hey, we don't want to pay this guy a contract, so 
maybe we trade him and see what we can get for him. Sometimes it's hard to separate owners versus executives and who's driving the bus on some of those decisions. Because you got, I mean, you got to have the money. You could be a great Pobo, president of baseball operations. You got to have the money available to you to spend the resources financially. That's kind of the good news about the way the Cardinals offseason, at least we expect, is going to go. I think Bill DeWitt has said, yes, you can go to $200 million. We have that bandwidth available to us. John Moselak, I think, has to be very intentional, though, in the way that he goes about using it. Because you do have a lot of needs, some more important than others, but all of them relevant in their own way. Starting pitching is at the very top of the list, and I would probably say bullpen is right behind it, but... There are some musical chairs with this offense in this position player group that, that are going to need to get handled. But maybe some of that does get handled by the fact that you realize we signed Sonny Gray. I'm, I'm a St. Louis Cardinals, so I say we. I go into this third-party mode sometimes. We're signing Sonny Gray, and it's going to cost us 20-something million dollars. We really wanted Yamamoto. We really wanted Aaron Nola. We couldn't make it happen. We really thought Blake Snell we couldn't make it happen. Or maybe you can. I don't know. $30 million, $27 million to one of those guys on an AAV. All right, that's about half of your allocated resources, I think, to spend in this offseason. I do think you have to sign somebody at a minimum of the Sunny Gray level. But as we talked about in yesterday's podcast or the day before that, which I recommend going back on YouTube and checking out if you missed it, youtube.com slash at bshafer12. Click subscribe for heaven's sake if you enjoy Cardinals content. You're not going to find a lot of Cardinals content that's like the Cardinals content that we're going to bring you all off season because we're you may look at the date stamps of some of these recent videos don't look now but be shaved daily it's daily again boys and girls i think we're going to be able to to keep up this pace for the most part bringing you cardinals content on a regular basis if you enjoy that kind of stuff you're in the right dadgum place subscribe on youtube or if you like just listening on spotify apple podcast podcast is called be shaved daily and you can subscribe over there as well of course, if you're subscribed on YouTube, you're going to get way more than that because I'm going to very soon, I haven't talked to anybody about this yet publicly, but very soon we're going to start to bring some guests in where we can maybe have some conversations with different people and we'll put it on YouTube outside the B-Shape Daily jurisdiction, but all Cardinals talk. So maybe some names you know, some names you may not know yet, but you're going to want to know. That's kind of the idea for what I want to do in 2024. Bring this thing to the next level. After starting the, the YouTube channel in April, doing great, but want you on board and want to kind of level up a little bit with some of the content that we bring you. So it's not just the podcast, but that's my stump speech. What I was going to say is that last couple of days, we've talked about a lot of the free agent possibilities for the Cardinals and the trade stuff was sort of on the back burner. Today, I want to focus in on that wholly and entirely because I think a good, important part of a viable strategy for the Cardinals offseason is to mix in a legit trade for a legit starting pitcher. We we talked about Tyler Glass now a little bit because that's the name that I feel like if you want to make a splash, but you don't want to have to spend a lot in terms of players or prospects and you're willing to incur a little bit more in terms of salary allocation, payroll, maybe go above $200 million a little bit because he's going to be owed $20 million for the upcoming season and then he'll be a free agent. Glass now would be a really compelling option. Only Threw 120 innings last year, but he's a strikeout fiend. And maybe you get lucky and he throws 150, 160, 170 innings, and you get ace caliber production from those innings. 
And maybe you don't have to give up a whole lot to do it. We threw around the name Alec Burleson yesterday. It's no downer on any of the players that we're going to talk about today in terms of guys that could be demanded in a trade for the Cardinals. If anything, it says a lot about the value that those players would hold around the league. So I don't want to get into the mindset of, oh, I'll, I'll help him pack. I'll drive him to the airport. Let's calm down. Let's be respectful of the Cardinal players that, that are currently on the team, right? But we can also acknowledge that this is a volatile time and these rumors make the world go round. So let's kind of get into it a little bit. Some of the teams that could match with the Cardinals, some of the players that might be interesting from those teams. And then I took to Twitter as well and asked you guys, hey, who are some trade targets, Cardinals fans, that you think I should talk about, you should, you think the, the Cardinals should be interested in? And I'm, I'm literally, after I kind of give my preamble and some of the names that I'm bringing to the table, I'll go to your guys' names from that tweet at Schaefer 12 I sent this out earlier on Wednesday and got a number of good responses, so I'll run through some of those. But I want to start with some of the names and teams that I'm looking at and I think are interesting. And some of this is based in reporting. Derek Gould had an article talking about, and he's for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. You guys know that already. But had an article kind of going through some of the things he's been hearing. And then we'll play some dot connecting. And some of this didn't surprise me at all. Some of it did a little bit, perhaps. Some of the teams that are listed or the players that are listed. But a great article you can read from Derek Gould at the uh, at the STL Today website. But one of the teams that he mentions that didn't surprise me because we talked about him a lot at the trade deadline, thinking maybe the Cardinals would match up, is the New York Yankees. The Cardinals have outfielders that we think would be attractive to the Yankees. Derek reporting that the Yankees have tossed around the idea of left-handed hitting outfielder Alec Burleson. Brendan Donovan, they're interested in him. Well, why wouldn't you be? Of course. Would they still be interested in Dylan Carlson after yet another injury? That's maybe unknown, according to Derek's reporting. But we know that back in July, August, that was kind of an idea that was at least being thrown around. But the Yankees are looking for offense. We know that Brian Cashman uh, has had some interesting things to say over the past couple of days. If you heard him basically brag about how small their analytics staff is for the New York Yankees. We got the smallest analytics team in the division. Probably not something you want to brag about, but that's just that's just my two cents, Mr. Cashman. But he did say that they need outfielders, a couple of them, and they'd like to have some left-handed hitters to balance out the lineup and enter the possibility of Dylan Carlson, Alec Burleson. Here's the thing. Brendan Donovan's name, because of reports like Derek's and others that have kind of been thrown around, his name is all over Twitter today. And I think that is a mistake because if anybody has been listening to this podcast for a long time, they know my stance on that. When it comes to trading Brendan Donovan, I shut those conversations down. I don't even want to entertain it because I think it would be a mistake for the St. Louis Cardinals to trade him. And a lot of people look surface level, and it's not to say that they're wrong, and I'm right, but I, the way I look at it is it's no knock on Nolan Gorman to say, man, he might be a really valuable trade piece. Why wouldn't teams want 40 home run possibility? I think Nolan Gorman has that. From the left side, are you kidding me? A little bit of defensive flexibility on the infield as well. Can play second, can play third. I mean, that would that'd be valuable to a lot of teams. Should be valuable to the Cardinals as well. But when you think about Nolan Gorman and the way that he's compiled the stats that he's had, certainly had a big step forward, I think, this past season. But at the same time, the consistency was still a question mark. 
He is definitely one of those hot and cold guys. And when he's hot, he can carry you. There were times last season where that was absolutely the case. There are also times where you go, man, just a week ago, we had this guy hitting cleanup. Should that even, should he even be in the lineup anymore? I think those are questions that you realistically would ask watching the Cardinals middle of last season at times where it just, Nolan Gorman just didn't have it out there. But at the end of the day, at the end of the year, an 805 OPS and 27 home runs in 464 plate appearances, that equates to a 117 OPS plus. He was a well above average hitter last year. He's only 23 damn years old and turned 24 until May of this upcoming year. It's like six months from now. There is so much potential there for Nolan Gorman. So it's a combination of how could you possibly even say you'd trade him? And man, what kind of great pitcher could you get if you were willing to? I think that's a question the Cardinals are having to weigh this this offseason. I also think the Brendan Donovan thing is interesting. If you polled 29 other MLB teams, how many of them would prefer Donovan over Gorman? Man, it's like that hypothetical when you say, hey, when you die and go to heaven, you're at the pearly gates. What do you want to ask St. Peter? He could tell you anything about your life. I'd be like, in 2023, 2024 offseason, how many teams would have preferred Donovan to Gorman in terms of a of a trade package with the Cardinals? I got to know. I think it's so compelling. And on like again, on the surface, you might just say, well, it's obviously Gorman. You know, Donovan's not going to hit 40 homers. I am telling you, I don't think it's that simple. I really don't think it's that simple. And we'll talk about the names the Yankees could maybe provide. It's it, To me, it's the same names that at the trade deadline we were talking about. Clark Schmidt, Clayton Beater are the two that make sense to me. But which would the Yankees prefer? I mean, you don't see in there Nolan Gorman's name in Derek Gould's report. Obviously, the Yankees saying they want outfielders, so maybe that's part of the reason. Donovan can play outfield. Won the utility gold glove, not this year, but the previous year, because of his ability to play corner outfield spots and, and to do so with some effectiveness. Burleson can play the corner outfield as well, could also play first base, both bat left-handed. Nolan Gorman left-handed, but not really an outfielder, at least that we've seen so far. But maybe they just assume, well, Nolan Gorman wouldn't be available because of his raw power, and that is such a commodity in today's game, especially when you factor in that it comes from the left side. So that's like an interesting, are are teams just not even broaching the topic because they just don't think it's possible? I don't think it's probably that. I think there's value to Brendan Donovan, and there are other teams that see that. 6.1 wins above replacement for his career, according to baseball reference. 1.9 1.9 this past year. But, man, he started to pick up the power in 2023. 11 home runs in about 100 fewer plate appearances than he had as a rookie. Only hit five home runs as a rookie. 11 this past season. You'd stretch that out to 550 plate appearances, give him a a fair shake at a full season. Brendan Donovan could be a 15 to 20 home run guy. And I really think, go back and look at Ben Zobris' numbers throughout his career. You're talking about Ben Zobrist and probably better defense from Donovan at every position that he plays. Zobrist can play anywhere on the field. Just a really good hitter. 787 was the OPS for Donnie this year. BFD, we call him. 779 for his career, the OPS. An on-base at 381 for his career. Went down a little bit this past year, but was able to increase the slugging percentage from 379 as a rookie to 422. And the OPS plus went down a little bit 115 for his career, which is just two years at this point. A 120 OPS plus for Brendan Donovan. 
what he brings offensively combined with what he brings defensively, I think is valuable. I think teams see that it's valuable. It's not to say that Gorman isn't valuable. He's valuable to the Cardinals. He'd be valuable to anybody that would ever trade for him. But when I look at the way the Cardinals are built, I think the the priority of defense is still going to matter because for as much as the Cardinals can say, we want to get swing and miss, we're going to fix that aspect of our team. We're going to get guys who strike people out. Okay, great. You're going to do that in one off season when you basically acknowledge this past year, like it got blunt at the end of the season. Ollie Marmel, we would ask and we would try to be respectful in the way we asked about it, but it's like, hey, you guys talk a lot about the swing and miss stuff. It doesn't seem like you have that. How do you fix it? You get new players. <laughs> I mean, that's honestly what it boiled down to for Ollie Marmel. And it's not to say that none of the guys from this past year's team can fit into the mold of what the Cardinals are looking to do moving forward, pitching-wise. Like Miles Michaelis, there's a lot to like about him, but he's also got to rely upon certain things to be successful, and defense is one of those things. Luck is kind of another, and there are obviously more factors to it than that, but those are aspects that are going to have to be considered. But how many guys in your rotation can you afford to have that are like that? It can't. The number can't be five. And, you know, you think about outside the rotation, just in the pitching staff in general, Andre Pallante, another guy who's kind of like that, right? He's going to rely on pitch to contact. And I don't know if I saw a more unlucky pitcher in baseball this season. When we got to talk to Ollie about it, I've talked about this before on B-Shape Daily, but it was myself and Benjamin Hockman hanging out, shooting the breeze in the dugout. Beautiful day at Bush in September. Walked out of the dugout steps. We're on the field. It's kind of what we get to do pregame. And Ollie's out there and looking relaxed and walks up, puts his hand on your shoulder. We just, yeah, we're just talking about Miles Michaelis. And what do you think about that, Ollie? You know, fielding independent pitching. If you look at his stats, not all too dissimilar to, to what he did last year. Why is it so different? Yeah, man, that's the nature of the beast, luck. And I think you could realistically expect Miles Michaelis to have the same FIP, you know, whatever it ended up being around four. He could do that same thing in 2024. And maybe the results are just way better. But what are the intangibles and the other aspects around him that can maybe help dictate that? Because he threw 201 innings this year, 202 in 2022. It's almost identical. But his ERA was a run and a half higher. You look at the FIP, 0.4 higher, right? So that's he was worse this year. There's no doubt about that. A 3.87 fielding independent pitching in 2022 for Miles Michaelis, 0.4 higher to a 4.27. FIP this past year. Bad luck. I mean, he led the league in hits allowed, led the league in earned runs allowed, also led the league in games started. How about that? But his ERA goes from 3.29 to 4.78, a run and a half different, when really the underlying numbers would say, honestly, his pitching, if you take away the fielding aspect of it, which I've talked before on the show, you can't do. You can't just say that's the end-all, be-all. I wouldn't be using FIP necessarily as my primary stat if I'm voting for the Cy Young, if I ever get a chance to do that. Did get to vote for Rookie of the Year this year, by the way, in the NL. Those results, I think, are coming out uh, next week. I think the 13th of November, it'll be revealed. We know the finalists in the National League, Corbin Carroll, Kodai Senga, James Outman, but they'll reveal the winner of that. That was cool. I did get to vote for that. But if you're talking about pitcher value, yeah, it matters to maybe be able to project moving forward what do you think a guy will do. But in terms of what he did, I mean, at the end of the day, you do need to know how many runs he gave up. And if Michaelis has the same FIP that he had in 2022 and the same ERA because it's three and a half and he's pitching great, 
The Cardinals probably don't feel quite as desperate as they do right now, but the variance showed up in his game last year, and that's just another factor. Like, he's in the rotation. They don't have a choice. They're getting three starters to add to him and Steven Matz, who also didn't finish the year healthy. So that's kind of where the Cardinals are at right now, and you just have to live with that a little bit. But what that means is you'd love to be able to get some starting pitching in the offseason that can strike guys out. But yeah, we talked to Ollie about it. For Michaelis, if you if you just looked at the, the fielding independent pitching, you'd say, yeah, he wasn't all that different this year. It's just a, a further example of why the Cardinals need to be so intentional about how they fill these spots. Can they get a Yamamoto or an Aaron Nolan free agency? That'd be great because then you'd feel good about the ace that they have. At least I think people would feel that way about Yamamoto. I know he's never pitched at MLB, but you kind of can project that he is a, a top-flight starter. That's the way that he's going to be paid anyway. But if you go into maybe a, a little bit lower tier, like Blake Snell, I think he's in that top tier, with the caveat being Aaron Nola, you know you're getting the 190 innings. Blake Snell, in so much as you can know something like that, because always the, the risk for injury is there for anybody. But he's kind of a workhorse build. Blake Snell, dynamic, nasty. Is he going to give you those innings? That's probably more of a question. But he's going to get paid, so you, you you make that determination as a team what you want to prioritize. And then Sonny Gray, free agent-wise, is probably the next guy on the list. I also think Jordan Montgomery should get a, a great deal of consideration, but I, like I've said, I can't project whether he wants to be back. I think the Cardinals would re- reasonably like to have him back. We know the Boris client aspect of it. Boris was doing his thing at the uh, GM meetings today, just telling basically every team that they don't spend enough and having his cute little sayings that he does. He prepares all these remarks to try and compel executives and owners to to give more money to his clients. But anyway, I think Montgomery would be really fascinating. Sonny Gray feels likely, as we've talked about with free agency, but how many people really feel like a 2.80 ERA was, was like a strikeout per inning guy, gave you a bunch of innings. How many people feel like that's going to be repeatable age 35, age 36, age 37, if you give him a multi-year deal. I don't know how to take the temperature at Cardinal Nation on that. I do think the risk is minimized because it'll probably be a shorter contract. I think Gray is a worthy target. But I think if he's your biggest free agent sign, you need to make a trade as well to find somebody to pair with him at the top of the rotation. And that's why I think Glass now is interesting, but even more than that, Let's talk about some of the guys that would be controllable. And I think you start that conversation with the Mariners. I know we mentioned the Yankees. We'll talk about Clayton Beater and Clark Schmidt. But I think before we do that, I probably erroneously started with the Yankees because really the Mariners are where you should start because at the top of the list, I think Logan Gilbert is the most attractive trade target that is out there in Major League Baseball this offseason. Doesn't mean you'll be traded, but the name, there's been enough smoke that, eh, we know the Mariners need offense. Maybe they'll be willing to trade him. Thing about it is, the Mariners are said to be wanting contact, high contact on base type of guys offensively. So for as much as we can MLB the show this thing and say, hey, Nolan Gorman for Gilbert, what do you think? Would I do that trade? For the Cardinals, yes. I think that's a trade that I would make. Straight up, 100%. My speculation, that probably doesn't even get it done. And Cardinals fans are like, you got to be kidding me. You know, Logan Gilbert's probably great, but we know that Nolan Gorman has just 
gobs and gobs of potential. Would be crazy to trade talent on top of him to get this guy, right? I don't know. But what if the Mariners, who are said to be wanting contact-oriented talent, rather than maybe power, which nobody's ever going to turn down power, but again, they're worried about some of the same things the Cardinals, I think, would be worried about in terms of the consistency game-to-game of their offense last year. Does Nolan Gorman help that? Mm, Probably not. Does Brendan Donovan? 100%. Stylistically, I would, just reading tea leaves of what's been reported out there, I feel like the Mariners would prefer Brendan Donovan to Nolan Gorman. That's difficult because would I trade Gorman for Gilbert? I said I would. If I'm the Cardinals, would I trade Brendan Donovan for Gilbert? It just depends on the mindset that you have because you could say, well, my gosh, he's a utility guy. Sure. This is a frontline starter who's controllable. Absolutely. I get it, man. But I think people underestimate the value of Brendan Donovan. But also, when you make a statement like that, when you say, eh, I don't know if I'd make a deal like that for an ace, and you can question what Logan Gilbert is, he's probably not getting traded, first of all. But the, the Mariners, the reason that they're such an obvious topic is they've got so much pitching. DePoto said, yeah, 29 other teams want to talk about our pitching. We don't want to be too flippant with getting rid of that stuff because the minute you think you've got enough of it, you don't. Injuries will happen. Whatever will happen, and it'll be gone. Poof. But Logan Gilbert is just one of the very attractive stars they have. George Kirby, the other one that's basically said to not be going anywhere. But Gilbert this past season, 3.73 ERA, 190 innings, 189 strikeouts. Pretty good. 108 ERA plus. For his career, he's 105 ERA plus. Had a really good 2022. Not quite a strikeout per inning throughout his career. 491 Ks in 495 innings. But he's 26 years old. He's controllable for like four more seasons. Not a free agent until 2028. I mean, that's a plug and play. Top end of the rotation kind of guy. Who could? I mean, he could still maybe get better, develop into some strikeout stuff at the big league level. Although we've seen him for a few years now, and I think he's kind of going to settle into what he is. But what he is is very darn good. I think Brendan Donovan is such a key piece offensively, but it's hard to say, no, I wouldn't do that, when you realize, well you would then have Nolan Gorman as your second baseman, hitting maybe the 40 home runs that we had talked about. He's not the table setter at the top of the lineup that I think Donovan is, and I think Donovan is a guy who doesn't slump. He's going to be consistent game-to-game, week-to-week, more so than Gorman. But if you're just looking at it in a vacuum and saying, now you have Logan Gilbert on your team, you could think the world of a guy like Brendan Donovan. But you go, yeah, you've got second baseman, so JC can come up and maybe he can be kind of that guy. I don't want to underestimate or gloss over what I think from a leadership standpoint that Brendan Donovan brings, which is, again, an intangible that's hard to factor into a trade like this, which is another reason that I think most Haylock has that kind of trouble making these trades happen. It's hard to have that happen. You have to think about the implications of what it'll do to your clubhouse. But this is the offseason where you do have to bottom line some of these things and just say, look, this is a a trade that we feel we've got to make if we, if it makes us better and, and fills a need. Right now, second base is not a need. You've got a lot of infielders that can play second base. They all bring various skills to the table. Tommy Edmond is another guy. I don't think Tommy Edmond's headlining a Logan Gilbert package. Now, would I trade Tommy Edmond? No, I think he's another leader in that clubhouse. And it's not to say that Gorman can't be that. That's what's so unfair about this conversation because we're just taking, we, we don't know the whole story and and we don't see everything behind the scenes 
But in terms of like glue guys, I have such praise for guys like Donovan. It's not that I don't have praise for Gorman. I mean, everything that was said about him this past year was positive. Ali Marmel talking about the way that he worked himself in the offseason to improve. He's a hard worker. He's the kind of guy you want on your team. The Cardinals put themselves in a spot where they may have to trade somebody that they don't want to trade to get pitching. Logan Gilbert would be the top of that list. The Mariners also have other pitchers. Brian Wu, Bryce Miller. Like I said, George Kirby not going anywhere. But Bryce Miller, you know, they, they're just stocked with guys like this. He had a 4.3 ERA this past season, 119 strikeouts in 131 innings. But that was his rookie season as a 24-year-old. So maybe Bryce Miller. Could you could you get Bryce Miller without giving up Donovan or Gorman? Maybe that becomes more palatable to the Cardinals. I don't know if the answer to that is yes, but I'm sure that they would be a, a lot more considerate of that possibility because I think they like both those guys. I think they like Tommy Edmond. People say, well, that's great. Tommy Edmond, he's, he gets paid more, easier to trade away. Why would the Cardinals trade away a guy that they really like, Tommy Edmond, they think the world of, if they don't think they're going to get elite fair value for what he would bring in a trade. Because it's not MLB the show. You can't say, well, Tommy Edmond for, all right, you don't want to trade Logan Gilbert. Well, we'll give you a Tommy Edmond, but you got Brian Wu. That'll work. That balances out. We don't know that. We don't know that the Mariners feel that way. Brian Wu, 93 strikeouts in 87 innings. So he's more than a K per inning guy last year, 23 years old. 4.21 ERA. Solid little debut in the season for Brian Wu who doesn't turn 24 until the end of January. So another young guy, super controllable. I don't think Tommy Edmond for Wu honestly gets done. Like, it, just because the Mariners have, it feels like, infinite number of guys like this, it doesn't mean that they're going to sell low. They should have 29 other teams looking at their starting pitching. But the Cardinals and the Mariners, an obvious match for that reason, and those are some of the names that I think make sense. But at the top end of it, it's, it's Gilbert. And then when you start getting into Brian Wu, Bryce Miller, they're probably still a tier above the guys like Clark Schmidt, Clayton Beater of the Yankees. But you're not sure going in that those guys are going to be bonafide every fifth day, giving you what you need in 2024. They're still on the come. There's still guys that are on the rise outside of Logan Gilbert, which is going to cost you the most. You have to make a decision if you, if you can even stomach that. Another guy that I think is on that tier is Dylan Cease. Chris Getz is in charge of the White Sox now, former Royals executive. And he said today, quote, I don't like our team. <laughs> That's what Chris Getz said. It's a direct quote. I don't like our team. Nobody is untouchable. Okay, well, Dylan C's come on down would be, I think, the attitude from the Cardinals side of things. Kind of like the Aaron Nola situation, though, last year. Not a great year for Dylan C's from an ERA standpoint. 4.58 was his ERA. But here's what stands out about Dylan C's, even as he was maybe not pitching to his capabilities which I would say is a fair criticism or a fair thing to state because his ERA doubled. It was 2.20 in 2022, up to 4.58. Basically the same innings, 184 to 177, so seven fewer innings. The strikeouts didn't really budge. He's got a track record of just wiping dudes off the off the face of the earth. 2021 was his first full season in the rotation. 226 Ks and 165 innings. For Dylan Cease, last year, still at 214. 2022 was 227, the career high. So this dude's going to give you 210 Ks in 180 innings. You can almost lock it in as long as he's healthy. 
the Cardinals say that'll play. The ERA went up, you know, gives up more home runs. Not really, though, even. That's another thing that should make you encouraged about that just being an aberration. He was on an awful White Sox team. That probably bleeds into just the the things aren't going to go your way when you're on a team underperforming like that. A lot of guys for the Cardinals, I think, could say the probably same thing this past year. He does walk a decent number of guys, led the league in walks in 2022, but managed to have a 2.20 ERA that year despite 78 walks. Walked 79 guys this past year. Didn't get the league leader uh, anecdote on his baseball reference page. Somebody must have passed him. Had more than the the 79 walks, but 14 wild pitches did lead the league. So, okay, he's a little erratic, but he's got wipeout stuff. 214 Ks in 177 innings. 4.58 ERA. We'll go back to FIP. I think he he pitched better than the ERA would show if you'd like to take a look at FIP. 3.72 FIP. The year before it was 3.1, the year before it was 3.4, so it did go up a little bit. But basically, you could argue he was close to a full run worse on ERA than he was on FIP, which ERA is not as projectable. It's important. It matters how well you pitch, but it's not as projectable given that there are other factors that play into it. Year to year, it's good to look at the FIP as well. It's not the end-all be-all. All of this kind of goes into the bucket, and you say, hey, we make an evaluation based on everything we see. And scouting plays into that. And, you know, people talk about Shane Bieber. That was not even a name that I was going to bring up, but I remembered that I told somebody, if I told you, you're listening now because it was a regular listener, one of my guys that I I text with. Shane Bieber is a name that I want to bring up, but the reason I haven't talked about him is because when you look at some of the underlying stuff, fastball velocity, like, he could have the Dylan Cease season next year where it's like, oh, man, he fell off a cliff. You look at his FIP, it went up a full year. No, it didn't. It's 1 a.m. I can't talk. I'm not even going to delete that from the podcast. It went up a full run over the course of the year between 2022 and 2023. I knew we'd get there. I know we're bouncing around a little bit, but stay with me. Because th- this is kind of probably how John Moselak feels, honestly. They have a lot of names that could potentially be dealt, and they got to check in with all of those teams because they got to find somebody. Somebody who wants what the Cardinals have to give, which is probably middle infield depth. You could always trade starting pitching from your prospect ranks, but ideally you keep enough of that to develop it and, and turn it into tomorrow's rotation. So you don't have to do this every offseason. But Shane Bieber, real quick, because I was asked about him, I, I don't think he's his, his peak self anymore. The FIP went from 287 to 3.87 between 2022 and 2023. ERA also went up by a run. And this is a guy whose ERA has basically matched his FIP every year. He's gotten what he's deserved. 2.88 ERA a year ago, and then this year, 3.80. So about a, a run difference there. It was an exact run difference on the FIP. We know that in 2020, the COVID year, he was at lights out. A 1.63 ERA to lead everybody. But that was a short season. Shane Bieber, I think, would be interesting, but I think because people remember that, and this is, I'm getting to it, the reason that I haven't really brought him up yet, I think he'd be interesting, but what are you going to pay to get him? And if it's the same stuff that I think you'd have to pay to get Logan Gilbert because Shane Bieber is that big of a name, then you maybe just go, ah, we're going to pursue other options. Will the name the value, the cachet of Shane Bieber's name, Shane Justin Bieber. Will that cause 
teams like the Cardinals or anybody else to go, yeah, we'd trade for him, but his name is almost working against us right now because you're going to demand more for him than I think the current version of him is worth. Hopefully that makes sense. But I would say if you're if you're talking about caliber, you know, he's not quite in that Logan Gilbert, Dylan C's caliber, and he's, he's contract point at this stage of the game. Let me see what his salary is. I'm just going to stay on, on baseball reference. Um, no, he's not. He's still in arbitration, but only for one more year. 2024 is his last year of team control. He made $10 million base this past year, and it'll go up from there. I'm looking at this. The service time doesn't really make 100% sense, but says he'll be a free agent in 2025. So I'm going to assume that to mean, yeah, just one more year, and then he is eligible for free agency. So I take that back. I think even with the name cachet and the name recognition of Shane Bieber, you're not going to have to give up Brendan Donovan or Nolan Gorman to get him, especially when you account for the decline in some of the underlying factors here. The strikeout rate is is what jumps off the page. We talked about that 2020 season. He had 122 strikeouts in 77 innings, way more than a K per inning. In 2021, only a partial season, must have been the first part because he was an all-star. 96 innings, still 134 Ks. But then the last two years, he's had fewer strikeouts than innings pitched. 200 innings, 198 Ks, which is still great because you're getting that work workload value. That is the value to Michaelis. You know he's going to throw you 200 innings. And 4.5 ERA is not over the moon by any means. But it's also, you get the innings and you know that it's not being filled by somebody who just can't pitch to a, a 4.5 ERA. So that's part of it too. But Shane Bieber, this past year, 107 strikeouts in 128 innings. That is a precipitous decline. I don't think he's going to return right back to a K per inning or better in 2024. So I, I just hesitate because I, I still think the name value is going to mean overpay, even if it doesn't mean Gorman or Donovan, because I didn't realize he was only he was on his final year before free agency. So he's in the Glasnow spot, honestly. Glasnow, I think, signed an early extension to buy up the Arbiers, so he knows it's $20 million or whatever it is. Bieber is probably going to be more like $15 million, maybe $16, $17. But I think Glasnow, both of them, you could say, yeah, some injuries. Glasnow, though, still pitching with a lot of strikeout stuff this past year. And honestly, was this past year as healthy as he's ever been once he got out there because he had 120 innings, and I think as a big leaguer, that's his best. Yeah. So, you know, he missed all of 2022, missed a lot of time the previous season. What do you make of last now? No idea. But I do know 162 Ks and 120 innings is exactly what you're talking about looking for. So I do put glass now talent wise, ability wise of he can impact the 2024 team on the level of Dylan Cease, on the level of Logan Gilbert. But his distinction is you're paying him more money. It's only for one year. We're talking about glass now. And as a result, probably costs you less in prospects. Wouldn't take, just like I say for Shane Bieber, wouldn't take Gorman, wouldn't take Donovan. Maybe they demand Edmund, and I, I, I think that would be just a massive overpay. Unless you're getting other pieces as well. And the Rays have a bunch of arms, so maybe bullpen arms too. I, I'm not keen on trading Edmund or Donovan. I, I know what that sounds like because you are like, well, Brendan, you got to trade somebody. Who are they going to trade? I don't know. 
I'm just telling you, I think that those are going to be difficult guys for John Moselak to move. And that could be the crux of the entire offseason because we think they need a trade. But my whole point with this trade talk, if you get outside of that elite tier of Gilbert, Dylan Cease, and that's really... I'll go to Twitter here to see if any of the names pop up. And I won't know all of these contract situations off the jump. But I want to see if there's anybody else that jumps out at me. Like Edward Cabrera. We could talk about the Marlins guys. Yuri Perez, like they're not going to trade him. That's getting to be MLB the show stuff. Somebody had suggested Yuri Perez to me, and I said, ah, that's, I mean, it's going to be tough. Because why? if you're the Marlins, why wouldn't you just let that play out? Right? He's like 20 years old and was a beast last year. They they load managed him so that he, you know, is just a guy that hadn't pitched a, a, on that level, that volume of innings. So they, they sent him back and, and managed his workload. But great future. Edward Cabrera is interesting. He's he's young. Again, you don't normally see these guys traded, but the Cardinals do have elite-tier position players, and maybe a swap like that could be possible. I think I, I consider Edward Cabrera, who has basically no service time. He's been like partial season every year. So free agency, not until 2029. 4.24 ERA in 99 innings this past year with 118 Ks. I think he'd be fascinating. Can you get an Edward Cabrera for like an Alec Burleson? Probably not because pitching is more valuable, I think, than even power hitting. But if you could have Burleson be a centerpiece for Edward Cabrera, suddenly I'm a lot more interested. But something else to keep in mind, Skip Schumacher is the manager of that Marlins team, and he knows the Cardinals system from having coached within it. He's going to have the players that he says, yeah, this guy's worth going after. He's going to have the players that he says, nah, I, I, think we, I, I don't think we necessarily pursue this player. Right, So I think that plays a part in any deal that you would make with the Marlins. But they're another team that has a bunch of young pitching, but kind of behind the Mariners in that regard to me because a lot of the Marlins guys are less proven to this point. But Edward Cabrera, his name continues for whatever reason to be kind of thrown around. I think it's the inconsistency, different injuries throughout his, his past, but the upside is tremendous. So again... Would you trade Donovan for Edward Cabrera? No, I wouldn't. I think Donovan is proven, consistent. You know what he is. Gorman, maybe he's not consistent, but he sure is proven. We've seen the power. We've seen him have above 100 OPS plus. Like he's a a good hitter and a powerful hitter. And the upside, if he taps into that ceiling of consistency, will be tremendous. I, I, I guess you could say those same things about a guy like Edward Cabrera for the Marlins, but I I just don't trust. I don't trust that to come through. Guy who's had some arm injuries and different things in his past. He gets injured. You lose a guy that, you know, and, and Gorman was injured this year too. Hitters can get injured. We know the way the pitchers get injured though. So for me, you got to be careful. Yes, he's interesting, but at what cost? Edward Cabrera. Um, not in that elite tier, by the way. I, I think he's right behind the Dylan Ceases of the world. He's right behind uh, Logan Gilbert. He's controllable, not not quite as proven for me yet, but he's he's close to being on that level. Um, got a lot of suggestions already from from people on Twitter, guys that we've already talked about, so we won't rehash those. Um, Brady Singer, Brendan jumping in with Brady Singer and Paul Blackburn. I think those are probably realistic, not in that elite tier. And you like those are the kinds of trades that if they get announced, you go, hey, 
Carlson didn't give up that much, and they've got a chance. they got a flyer on a guy. Brady Singer with multiple years of team control. Same with Paul Blackburn. I think those would be very interesting number four kind of targets. If Steven Matz is your five, Brady Singer, Paul Blackburn, are those your number four candidates? Or at least you're hopeful that they can perform to that level. Because Steven Matz, if healthy, I think could be like a number three or two. But, you know, we've we've had two years of him kind of getting banged up. We've seen it now. I, I think you just have to manage your expectations probably with, with a guy like that. So these are interesting names. I'm going to continue to go down the list. We got some Brian Wu. We've talked about Shane Bieber. More Blackburn love. Pablo Sandoval would be quality. I, I Again, not quite on that frontline tier. And I, again, I'll put Glass now on that frontline tier. You just have to know us with the caveat that it doesn't cost the frontline prospects to get him, which is an attractive quality. But also, it does. How does Bill DeWitt view it if he says, we can go to $200 million, but Mo says, well, what about 210 just for a minute here? And then we'll go back down next year. But this Glass now guy... We can get him along with some other key difference makers, and we only got to pay him for one year. He's a mercenary. He's a hired gun, but he's a gun that fires pretty good when he's healthy. Would Bill DeWitt go, all right, I didn't want to do this, but for one year I'll do it if you really think it can help us win a World Series. You know, that's kind of the the trade-off that would be made there. And this is all still in the hypothetical realm, but I think these are the things that the Cardinals would need to be kind of talking about. Tarek Skubal is another name that a lot of people are interested in, acknowledging that he would cost a lot. 26 years old, had some injuries this past year, but man, did he look good when he pitched. 102 Ks, 80 innings, 2.80 ERA. Yes, that is the elite tier of Logan Gilbert, Dylan Cease, and I think he's even a little more controllable than Cease. Not a free agent until 27. So you'd have 24, 25, 26, three years of Scooble, just, I believe, two years of Cease. He's a little deeper into ARB already. Yep. And uh, Logan Gilbert, you'd have a bunch of years of, not a free agent until 28. But Scooball of the Detroit Tigers is in that tier. High strikeout arm. We haven't seen him throw a full 180 innings yet This in his career. Had 149 a couple of years ago. Injuries and various things going on since then. But clearly the upside is there to have, it, to have that guy be a frontline starter. So, yeah, that probably does cost you the Gorman or the Donovan or the like that level of proven player and like we can talk about other prospects other youngsters new bars not being traded walkers not being traded mason win is almost definitely not being traded but i could see it if it was like the pitching package you were getting was just too good to deny because we do have to acknowledge that we don't know if mason win's going to be able to hit at the big league level i mean he was pretty rough down the stretch of his his rookie uh you know his rookie cup of coffee he's still gonna be a rookie next year still eligible but we don't know for sure what his bat's going to look like if and when it'll translate. So if you get a guy that you know is a bona fide stud pitcher, I could see him doing that. But basically, I'm going to say Mason Wynn won't be dealt. I mean, they want to build around him. They want to market around a guy like him. He's got all the personality, all the exuberance, and the talent to go with it. You don't tend to try to trade those guys. But the Cardinals have big chips to play with at this poker table. And that's why they're maybe going to be able to delve into some of the waters of a Gilbert, of a Tariq Skubal, of a uh, Dylan Cease, potentially. Chris Getz hates his team, so maybe he likes some some young Cardinals talent that could help him reorient that. And by the way, I saw some stuff about, hey, could they just trade for Dylan Cease and Luis Robert? Um, would be insane, would cost a ton. It'd be super fun. 
Like, again, I think you just bottom line this thing. It's so unrealistic. It's so video game territory that I won't spend much time on it. But I will acknowledge that I did see some of that stuff on Twitter. And I was like, you know what? Wouldn't be something uh, that, that people would hate, would it? you give up a lot of prospects, all that future. But, uh, man, the present would get real interesting real fast, huh? But, all right, we're getting back into the the Twitter tweets for names that haven't been mentioned. Um, Trey brings up Tariq Skubal as well. Doesn't think the Tigers are moving him. And, again, yeah, I, same as the Mariners. Don't, they don't need to move Logan Gilbert. Like, you have to pay for these guys. You have to convince them. But Trey brings up a great name, Matt Brash. I love Matt Brash as an addition for this bullpen. If you trade with the Mariners, Matt Brash has to come home with you, right? Like, that's the way I look at it. Um, He was a a guy who was a starter in 2022, kind of a hot fantasy fantasy football, fantasy baseball name that was like, ooh, he's going to be in their rotation. Didn't work out. He went back to AAA, became a reliever, and was really good Um, this past year. Didn't start at all for him, but 78 games pitched, 70 innings, 107 strikeouts. Yes, sir. Again, you're going to pay through the nose for a guy like that. But a package of Brash and either, you know, Brian Wu, Bryce Miller, heaven forbid Logan Gilbert, if you really wanted to swing for the fences, you're probably trading Tink Hentz in those deals. You're trading Graceffo. Like, you have to give up legit pitchers that are unproven. Otherwise, why does a team like the Mariners give you their more proven arms? Well, yeah, we'll take your offense, but we need pitching back too. This uh, this churn has to continue. You're the one desperate for pitching. We're not. Could we use the hitting that you can offer us? Yeah, that's how the Mariners probably view it, though. It's not a they're dealing from strength. I don't think they're all too desperate to give up some of these pitchers. But a lot of guy, a lot of folks in the comments naming Brian Wu, Bryce Miller, um, Glass now dropped in the comments a bunch. Brendan coming up with uh, Braxton Garrett, Griffin Canning, and Shane Baz, 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 as uh, three names that we haven't mentioned. But again, those guys are, like Baz has been off injured. The other two names, I think those are more bottom of the line. If they're available and you can trade for them, again, those would fit the, the, the billing of like your number five. But I went through this list. Soroka was on the list as kind of a buy low. That's a good one from Nico. Going through these lists, I think the Cardinals, it would be great if they could make the big trade. And I know I keep saying, nah, you shouldn't trade everybody that would be in that big trade. Gorman is kind of the name that seems to continue to bubble to the surface, though. Would I trade him in the right circumstance? I would if I'm the Cardinals. But I just, we don't know until we see a deal like that come to fruition. And if you're John Moselak, you could spend the whole time saying the same stuff we're saying. Well, sure, I'd trade somebody if it was good to, to help the team. Logan Gilbert would be a great Cardinal. But if you're like, well, but it's Brian Wu for Gorman. And if you're Mo, you're like, well, that's not. No, our guy's a little more proven than Brian Wu. But if you're the Mariners, you're going, look, we we might as well give you our third best and see if you bite on it. And that's the the rub. Like the Cardinals are in the position of almost desperation. Other teams are going to be aware of that in the trade market. Kian, John Mozeliak navigate those waters effectively. I don't know. We haven't seen it in recent years. But another name that I want to bring up, and I believe this was somebody that Derek Gould also had had touched on because he mentions the Toronto Blue Jays. Alec Manoa could be a beautiful disaster to try and bring him in because we know that it was a nightmarish season for him. I can remember seeing like spring training video of him and basically like TikTok, the whole thing was like, 
man, Alec Manoa looks big. Like, it looks like he maybe didn't work out too much in the offseason. And you're like, okay, whatever. I mean, that's who am I to judge? But then, the, I mean, the performance was not good, right? And and went all the way down to the complex league, you know, and, and dealt with various things off the field, on the field. It just wasn't working out. And it had to be hard for him mentally, right? Go from a 2.2 ERA and almost 200 innings pitched in 2022 as an all-star. Only 180 Ks, so he wasn't like that, didn't have that huge K to, to innings pitch ratio. Although as a rookie, he did, 127 to 111 on the positive side for strikeouts to innings pitched. But 2023, man, still was a close to an inning per strikeout or strikeout per inning. 87 innings, 79 Ks, 5.87 ERA. It almost tripled his ERA from 2022 to 2023. I don't know. I don't know how you fix him. Do you have confidence that the Cardinals are the team that has the staff in place to fix him? I would say no. I am not confident in that. They need to add outside voices to fix the the pitching. The philosophy of pitching is behind the curve, at least in terms of what we're seeing on the field in the major league level. It's not a knock on any of the guys that are on that staff, but clearly there's a deficit somewhere. Is Manoa going to come to St. Louis and they fix him? That's like a scouting question. There's a lot of uncertainty with that that I don't have the answer to. But would he be a compelling target if you're just kind of taking a flyer on him? Yeah. What would it cost? Well, a lot of these teams, we talk about wanting outfielders. The Cardinals have a combination of too many outfielders and then nobody that they really think would be a smash to play center field. And maybe the caveat to that is, yes, they have that guy. His name is Tommy Edmund Brendan. Um, Not Tommy Edmund Brendan, but just the Tommy Edmund part as I talk to myself, maybe they just are confident that he can do that because he looked great defensively. I have concerns offensively that penciling him in day one as your starting center fielder is a good idea because I also think you should have some question and skepticism of what will Mason win be if you just say, hey, he is a shortstop. He's playing every day, you know, sink or swim time. It's not a bad approach, but what if he has a 300 OPS again? I mean, he was not playable on a contending team last year in the cup of coffee that he had. I think he'll be much better in 2024, but that has to happen. And if he's not, if he, and again, even if he's better, is he kind of like Edmund, a 100 OPS plus or weighted runs created plus kind of guy league average. All right. That's two spots where you say we're prioritizing center field defense, shortstop defense, because wins going to be a great shortstop, but they're just kind of, eh, they're just kind of average offensively in terms of the value they bring. And we know that you're counteracting some of the the defensive stuff with Jordan Walker and right field. Offensively, he should be above average. Newt Barr should get to play a corner spot this upcoming year. I think the Cardinals will make that happen. Even if they don't make trades, it's going to be Dylan Carlson in center field. If they decide to stick with Dylan or they can't find a partner for uh, a trade with him, they're not. I don't think they want to put Newt in center field every day. I think they'd rather him be a corner outfielder. That could mean trading away some of these guys from this outfield group and bringing somebody in via maybe a different trade or more likely free agency. And the reason I say free agency is more likely, Mo hasn't made these kinds of trades. He's not the moving and shaking executive that Jerry DePoto is where he can wheel and deal and make five trades in a month, and it's like nobody would be surprised by that. Mo is more meticulous and moves a little slower, measured in his the trades that he decides to execute. 
So is it super realistic to say, okay, the Cardinals are going to trade out these outfielders, they're going to trade to get new ones while they're also trading for pitching. And it's a lot of moving parts, probably more than I think John Mozeliak is going to be able to finagle into a perfectly round roster, you know, the round peg in the round hole. Right now they've got a lot of square pegs and a lot of just no pegs. They don't, they have the hole and they don't have any way to fill it when it comes to pitching. But specific to the outfield, it would make sense to try and move some of these guys off the roster if you don't trust them. If you say, no, we believe that we're going to give it one last try with Dylan Carlson, then fine. If that's how you feel, and believe me, I'm a Dylan Carlson guy, and so I would say that would make sense. If not, would Carlson for Alec Manoa be a trade you'd be interested in? Ben Nicholson-Smith of Sportsnet tossed this out in a recent article. Carlson for Manoa. I genuinely think it makes some sense. You know, you know where I am on Carlson, but if the Cardinals say we've been down this path and we've got to decide to to make a cut, a clean cut, and we think we can get some upside for him, okay, then maybe they would pursue that. I don't know what their interest would be. I really don't. I thought if they were going to do it when they traded with the Blue Jays, I thought it might have happened on August 1st, but, you know, it, it obviously didn't. Um, but the very similar situations for both Manoa and Carlson at their respective positions, guys with a lot of promise and upside. Um, Manoa with one proven season more than than I would say Carlson ever proved, but Carlson had like a 780 OPS one year. So, you know, very similar in that two guys that have tremendous, tremendous upside and, and promise and, you know, more recently just have not really seen it pan out for them. Um, I would say the fall from grace has probably been bigger for Manoa because we haven't seen Dylan Carlson need to go to the complex league to try and figure out, you know, just remake his game from the ground up. That didn't really happen, but you, you've, you've followed the Cardinals. You know that Carlson is, it's been a little bit of a weird spot for him the last couple of years and injuries, of course, have been a part of that as well. But that's where I talk about like Cardinals need to make a trade. You break it down into tiers and if you get a cease or a Gilbert, or a Tarek Scooball, then maybe that ends up meaning you don't have to be as aggressive in the free agency part of it. Glass now, I think, is is interesting in that regard as well, although that could quickly be a house of cards that caves in. Same as Shane Bieber, if you were to go that route. Definite upside there, but, but risk. I think risk in, in terms of the number of innings you'll get from the guy and what kind of innings and the fact that he's only under contract for the one year. Yes, he'll cost less in a trade as a result. I think that's true of both both Bieber and Glasnow. I, I like the Glasnow upside better, even though he'll cost a little more financially. I don't know what the Guardians want to do with Bieber, if they want to trade him or not. I do think that you'll probably see Glasnow traded from the Rays, though. I don't think they want to pay him. But for the Cardinals, it's going to be about balancing. All right go and get one of these big fish via trade. The reason it'll be hard to reverse engineer that though, is it sounds like they want to approach free agency first, which makes sense. It's a lot simpler and then backfill via trade. So is it a case where if you feel you're missing out on Yamamoto, you're missing out on Nola, you spring into action and grab Sonny Gray before somebody else does. All right. But does that cause you to overpay? Or can you be patient in this pitching market? Or can you say, hey, we're going to sign our guy, but we're going to overpay for somebody. If we're going to do it, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be Blake Snell. Huge strikeout potential. It's going to be Yamamoto. It's going to be 
Aaron Nola because we believe that he is the workhorse that we're looking for. How do the Cardinals approach things similarly to how they have in past years, and how do they maybe do it a little different and say, we need to recognize that what we've done in the past hasn't gotten us to a great spot? Blake Snell, 180 innings. That's encouraging from his past year. Basically ties a career high, 234 strikeouts. Man, Blake Snell, the more I think about it, would be so fascinating. But I said earlier during the season that he'd be a name that scares me because I think the bottom could fall out because we have seen him have injuries over the years. But I also think dominator. And so it could be tempting. The Cardinals maybe buck traditional wisdom at some point and say, screw it. We're signing this dude because he's a dude. And we need some dudes. We don't have enough of them. Maybe that's something that they do. Maybe that's an approach that they end up taking. Cardinals fans, let me know. Obviously, I don't need to tell you to to comment below. I know you know by now. But let me know in the comments below what you think about all of this. Can the Cardinals reverse engineer and get a big fish via trade? Or is that only going to come if they miss out on their big targets in free agency? Because chronologically, they're going to go to free agency first. And then they feel desperate and maybe they have to, or they feel they have to trade someone they don't want to trade to get the ace caliber arm. I would love to see him make a trade before they sign somebody. I know it's not going to go that way. That That's not the way it's being reported and, and approached, I think, by where, where the Cardinals are at. And it makes sense. But, man, it would be great because you don't have to – you can do these things independently of one another. That's kind of how I feel. Signing Sonny Gray or Blake Snell or Aaron Nola, whatever tier you end up with in your top free agent signing, you can do that while also trading for a controllable starter because this – Salary is not going to really impact the overall bottom line as much. Guys like Caesar making eight or ten million or twelve million, it's not free agent caliber money. You can, it, it's not negligible. You have to account for it, but it's 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 not game changing to where it's going to cause you to be out of the market for some of these other free agents that you were otherwise talking to. So I, I would love to think that they're on the phones for trades as well right now and not just thinking about free agency because they got to be able to do both. And as we talked about in yesterday's episode, I feel like it would be to their benefit to get a big fish in free agency and get the controllable starter. Yes, I think Glass now could come cheaper. And if you do that, that's a good consolation because for 2024, Glass now can be as good as any of those other guys, Dylan Cease, Logan Gilbert, et cetera. But you only have him for one year, and so you do end up kicking the can down the road. But if it only costs you Burleson instead of Donovan Gorman, you know, maybe that ends up being worthwhile. Because as, as much as Donovan Gorman and all those guys playing second base, and here comes Thomas Sejaci, as much as you do have a, a luxury of depth there, you also have that in the in the corner outfield, where it's like, is Burleson going to get playing time? Probably not over Jordan Walker, Lars Nupar. Yes, I, I do think the center fielder is either going to be Edmund or they're going to have to get somebody. They could rely on Dylan Carlson. I don't know if they're going to be willing to. But that's the other part of this. Why can't they make a second trade if they've made up their mind that, you know, they're going to trade Carlson because they're going to bring in a veteran center fielder that can just be a, a stopgap until Victor Scott gets here, the uh, the high-flying prospect from, uh, I think he got to double-A this past year. Maybe that's the way that they would approach it. Because if so, all right, the Carlson for Manoa thing might not be great fair value, but it's just kind of trading your disappointing player for theirs at a position where you really could use the bounce back from the guy. 
But you also traded for Dylan Cease, or you also traded for Scooball, or you also traded for one of these other names. So now your five is Manoa, and if he doesn't pan out, which he very well may not, that's when you pivot to Zach Thompson or, or one of the internal options. But why not have two trades that happen? It's all about the tiers. The tier of pitcher that you're getting and what you're giving up to get him. How would we feel about the Cardinals? You know, yeah, they're going to sign somebody, but maybe making a trade or two to help supplement the starting rotation in 2024 and perhaps beyond if they can pick up some controllable guys. And yeah, you can quickly find your position player depth is not what you thought it was because you trade away a, a couple of, you know, a Gorman, a Burleson, a, a Carlson, even just two of those three, you're going, man, it's not the same as it was, but you do have reinforcements coming. You have younger players in that regard. Victor Scott, maybe not just yet, but eventually. Mason Wynn counts because he's going to be playing a bigger role than he did last year. Thomas J.C. I think should be on this team at some point soon. Like, those guys are on the way. You don't necessarily trust the pitching on the way as being as polished and ready as some of those hitters I think are going to prove to be. So how do the Cardinals handle that, man? It's going to be tough, but I think they should make a trade. I think they should trade for a player that is in their opening day starting five for the rotation. That is my opinion. Because free agency, if you rely on that wholeheartedly, you get burned more often than you don't, right? Like how often do we see, especially the mid-tier options, right? The Wakas, the Lugos, they, Nick Martinez, these guys could be great options. They could also just as easily flame out. And at least at that point, you're not spending $80 million on Mike Leake to see him flame out. Maybe it's two years, $26 million, But it still counts. They got to be correct with the big gun that they signed. It has to be a guy that is a top flight, ace caliber starter. And whether you consider Gray to be that, Sonny Gray, I think, is the question of the offseason because he feels like the most likely guy that they'll sign from that northern tier of talent. But maybe it's Montgomery. But then you'd think, well, man, Montgomery was pretty good last year and the Cardinals still sucked. <laughs> like, their rotation was still awful. So what else are you doing? The what else has to be important. Because, again, if you just backfill to about where you were last year with the same kind of question marks, it's not going to work. You have to be aggressive. I think trade is the way to do that. And it could be uncomfortable. But if you're prioritizing 2024, they say, hey, we're not going to have a multi-year rebuild. We're going to win this year. This coming year is going to be, you know, this is the way we're going to do it. Okay, that takes more regression than they've shown. They've always had a measured approach. It's a distance race. It's a marathon, not a sprint. You want to keep the system stocked for years to come so that you can sustain excellence. They tripped and fell. They don't have excellence right now. They're not coming off a season of excellence. As a result, you may have to tweak your alignment a little bit and prioritize right now a little bit more. It's not to say mortgage the farm, sell it off. Who cares about the future? But you got to tweak that. You got to adjust that lever a little bit and say, eh, let's pull a little bit more toward the 2024 side than whatever might happen in 2027. Live a little, live in the moment, fix the dang thing. I think that's what Cardinals fans want. Okay, I'm way over an hour. I had a lot to talk about. Let me know in the comments what I forgot. If you give me the, yesterday I did the hashtag still here, if you're still listening. Give me hashtag I made it. If you literally listen to 71 minutes, 72 minutes of B-Shafe Daily as we talk a lot of Cardinal stuff. It's going to be that way all offseason. Thank you guys for joining me. We'll talk to you next time on B-Shafe Daily. Peace.